at Trinity. I am Pastor Caleb and I am delighted that we can be together here on Palm Sunday. But this is not a typical Palm Sunday service. And this isn't a typical season that we're living in. As a response to that, we decided that we were going to extend Holy Week. So if you tuned in with us last week, uh, we celebrated Palm Sunday a week early, 
which means that this Sunday we are going to be focused on Good Friday and the events of the crucifixion of Jesus. And it is my hope and my prayer that in this time together that we will experience God's love in a way that we haven't before. That we will come to a greater appreciation and a greater dependence on the the love that God has shown us, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, so that we might be restored to right relationship with the Father. If you would, uh, let's open our time together this morning with the reading of our discipleship prayer. Eternal Father, you have adopted us from slavery to sin and death and given us the kingdom of your Son, Jesus, as an inheritance. We ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with the knowledge of your will so that we may live in a way that pleases you. Strengthen us with your power to do what is good, and may our work bear the fruit of your kingdom. When life is hard, give us patience and encourage our hearts, and we will honor and worship you forever. Amen. If you would, please rise in spirit right where you are to sing our first hymn together, Ah, Holy Jesus. Jesus, how hast thou offended? 
In the Gospel of John, there are some recurring characters. John the Baptist finds himself in the story multiple times. Lazarus and Mary and Martha are in the story multiple times. But I think the person who I find most interesting, who plays a role on several different occasions in the Gospel according to John, is Nicodemus, the Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. We first find Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where John writes, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. And surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus replied. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus goes under the cover of darkness, probably to the back door at the residence where Jesus is staying, and he meets him. And I find this fascinating, that Nicodemus isn't a believer at this point. He's pretty sure that Jesus probably comes from God. But he doesn't know what to make of him. He's trying to understand that question. He's, he's seeking the truth. He's seeking answers. And Jesus embraces him all the same. 
I'm incredibly encouraged by this story, and you should be too, because what this story shows us is that we don't have to have it all figured out. God doesn't expect us to be fully bought in before he embraces us. Jesus embraces Nicodemus before Nicodemus believes that Jesus is the Son of Man. God embraces us even before we have words to articulate the good news that Jesus is Lord. At the end of this time where Jesus and Nicodemus are together, Jesus says that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Even here, John chapter 3, the very beginning of the gospel, this first encounter with the Pharisee member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus. Jesus is already pointing to the reality of Calvary. That he will be lifted up. That he'll be crucified. But that anyone who looks upon his crucified body, anyone who believes in him, will find eternal life. In the very next verse, Jesus goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is why we call this day Good Friday. Because the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is a very peculiar kingdom. It's a kingdom that begins with the king's death. It's a kingdom that is built on sacrifice and resurrection. It's a kingdom that that we have the opportunity to embrace the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the grace of God, to look upon Christ crucified and even in that time of pain, even in that time of what looks like defeat, to claim victory, to claim life, to know that that as we believe in that king hanging on that cross, that we will receive eternal life. Right where you are, please rise in spirit as we sing the hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus.
Continue in worship by responding to the grace that God has shown us. First, I want to thank so many of you who have been generous and have given sacrificially during this time of economic uncertainty. Um, it is your generosity and your faithfulness that allows us to make a difference in the lives of so many families here in our community. Uh, and I thank you for that. As we uh, share this time together, uh, we've been having questions for response. And today, the question that I invite you to consider together is what comes to mind when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus? So take about a minute and share amongst uh, you and whoever is gathered with you what comes to mind when you think of the crucifixion of Jesus. If you are watching alone, feel free to comment in the chat section of the live stream. And uh, you have about a minute, starting now. Fifteen seconds. For me, what comes to mind when I consider the crucifixion of Christ is a line from a Charles Wesley hymn. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It is incomprehensible to me 
that God loves me enough to suffer so that I can know him. Will you pray with me? Most gracious God, we thank you that you love us, that you choose us, that you draw us near to you. Lord, we know that we don't deserve it, but we sure are thankful that you have chosen us, that you desire to, to know us and to have us know you. Lord, you have adopted us from slavery to sin and death and made us your children. So with the confidence of your children, we pray the way that Jesus taught us. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. children's moments. Today we're going to talk about hope and one of the best ways to do that is with an example one of people's favorite movies uh, Star Wars. We'll see a little clip here. Now let's see if we can't figure out what you are my little friend and where you come from. I saw part of the message you... I seem to have found it. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. So Princess Leia talked about Obi-Wan Kenobi being their last hope. And if you look up hope in the dictionary, it talks about looking forward to something with confidence and expectation. So in the movie, she obviously had um, confidence and expectation in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Confidence because she had, or he had fought with her father in the Clone Wars, uh, and she knew what a capable warrior that he is. Uh, and then expectation, obviously, by sending her favorite droid, C-3PO. Just kidding, for all you Star Wars fans, you know R2-D2 is the favorite droid. So she sent R2-D2 to deliver the message, so she obviously had the expectation that, that Obi-Wan Kenobi would come help the Rebellion. So during this Lenten season, we're thinking about Good Friday, and the hope we have is in Jesus. So we know that he came and he went through hardships on earth and he sacrificed for us. 
So we have the confidence that that, that happened, that he is our savior and that he died for our sin. And the expectation is through his actions that we'll get to live eternal life uh, in heaven with he and our father. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us for sacrificing your son for our sins, for your love, for the hope that we have to spend eternal life with you. Let us remember when we see movies about hope that uh, the lesson is this taught us and that we have the hope in Jesus uh, and that we'll be with you. In your name we pray. May the faith be with you. Nicodemus finds himself back in the story again in John chapter 7. John 7 begins with Jesus going to the festival of tabernacles with his disciples. And while he's there, he teaches. He's there in the temple teaching and the Sanhedrin catches wind of it. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they see that he's teaching and they are not happy about it. So they send the temple guards to arrest him, but they're unable to do it because the people are enthralled with his teaching. And even the temple guards, as they hear him, say he is speaking like no one has ever spoken before. In verse 45, we read these words. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, oh, there is a curse on them. Then Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. The Pharisees had established the litmus test for what would make Jesus truly who he says he is, as one of us, one of us who are educated, who are uh, appointed, who are the chief priests, the rulers, the teachers, one of us has to uh, believe in him if he's real, right? And Nicodemus has a chance to stand up and say, well, I do. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he is the king of Israel. He is the, the long-awaited Messiah. But that's not what he does. I mean, he, he does sort of kind of maybe give kind of a, a weak argument in Jesus' favor. You know, on a technicality. 
asking, well, shouldn't we at least hear what he has to say before we condemn him? But they diminish that. Say, he's from Galilee. Give me a break. And nothing more. Nicodemus doesn't fight for Jesus harder. He doesn't establish that Jesus is Lord. The way the story is told, it seems like he just kind of shrinks away. Accepting what the rest of the Sanhedrin has said. Let us continue in worship by singing the hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. John 29, 28 through 42, the death of Jesus. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. 
The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given his testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us remember in our prayers this week, Bonna Stevens, Uncle Dick, Ben Romine, Christopher Perrine, Jill, Brian, and Emery, Kelly Perrine, the Pilkingtons, families receiving groceries, Tracy, Chris Skaggs, Sharon Skaggs, Beth Amasager, the essential workers, the makers of PPE, leaders at every level, and those who've lost loved ones. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know our hurt and our suffering. You love us. You suffer along with us. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are hurting. Lord, that they would know your peace and your grace in a special way. Comfort them. Strengthen them. Embolden them to live lives unafraid full of your goodness and your grace. Lord, take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for one another. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The final occurrence of our friend Nicodemus comes in John chapter 19. John writes that later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, 
they laid Jesus there. It's really important what Nicodemus does here. That he brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds. Like that number is important because the only other cases in antiquity of such a lavish burial mixture are all reserved for kings. Jesus has become Nicodemus king. His death, which brings about new life, that as he was lifted up, Nicodemus got it. It all clicked. For the first time, it all made sense. For the Son of Man to be lifted up that all may inherit eternal life. It made sense for Nicodemus. Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. He's the, the long-awaited King of Israel. So he, along with Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Jesus and gave him a king's burial. On Good Friday, we bury a king. The king who would die for us and has died for us. And we're sad. Because death feels final. It feels like this is the end. But the hope that we await, the hope that we look forward to in one week's time, is the hope where our king sits on the throne of a new and peculiar kingdom. It's the hope that Nicodemus had when he gave Jesus a king's burial. It's the hope that Joseph Arimathea had when he laid him in his new unused tomb. Jesus' death changes everything. Because Jesus died, we can live. Because the king has been lifted on high, nailed to a cross, we can experience eternal life and know the love of God. Please rise for our final hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. i uh -huh.
Jesus Christ go before you to guide you, behind you to forgive you, above you to bless you, and live within you so you may love one another. He lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and even forevermore. Amen. Nothing he did. God. 
Amen.